The scripture reading this evening will be from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We are going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. As we think about living like a Christian, and the song that we sang a moment ago, Live for Jesus, reminds us of the importance of living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight I want us to look at 1 Timothy 4 at verse 12 and listen to the instructions that were given to Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, centuries ago. And before we get started, I would say this. Sometimes we talk about Christianity and theoretically we, we talk about what it means to live a Christian. But Paul here is saying that what we need to do is put it into action. The beauty of this verse, I believe, is reflected in the fact that Timothy was a young fellow. And Paul was saying that as a young person, you can be a great example for the Lord. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about living like a Christian. As we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, listen again to what Paul said. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. First, consider with me, if you would, the command to believers. Paul, as I said a moment ago, was writing to Timothy. And Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Over in chapter 6, Paul identifies Timothy as a man of God. Timothy was a young evangelist, a young preacher. And no doubt people were watching his every move. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we need to understand that the Lord wants us to live like we belong to him. Three things I would share with you along these lines. First of all, consider with me, if you would, the perfect example. There are no doubt any number of people that we look up to in life. And there are some, some people that you look at their life, you listen to them, you observe how they conduct or carry themselves in the world, and you say, I want to be like them. Well, Jesus is the perfect example. He is the epitome of what it means to live a righteous life. As I think about the perfect example and living like Jesus, the two things that I would stress, we ought to be like Jesus in word and in deed. Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he said that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps? We talk about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus Christ was a very unique individual, to say the least. He was God in the flesh. And yet when we talk about being like Jesus, I would remind you that others in days gone by have looked to him 
as the perfect example. We're talking about Paul's command to Timothy. Paul himself would say to the church at Corinth, be followers or imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so Paul could say to the believers in Corinth, insomuch as I live and conduct myself like Christ, follow my lead. And so we strive to the best of our ability to pattern our lives after Jesus. His speech, pure. Peter said that no guile or deceit was found in his mouth. And then I think about the marvelous deeds that he went about doing while here on planet Earth. Luke said in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that Jesus went about doing good. Wouldn't it be great if every believer today went about doing good like Jesus did? Seeking to serve, to love, to demonstrate a heart of, a heart of compassion. And then there is a second thing I would call attention to, and that is the power of our example. Whether we realize it or not, we are an example to others. As parents, we are examples to our children. As grandparents, we serve as examples to our grandchildren. We are examples to our neighbors, to our coworkers, our classmates, etc. But when we talk about the power of our example, there are two figures of speech that are employed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 that stress this very idea. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now there are any number of things that salt is used for. Let me just isolate a couple. First of all, salt can give flavor to various types of food, can it? Is it not the case that as a Christian, what we're trying to do is give people a taste of what it means to be a Christian? In other words, when people see us and they observe our demeanor, they watch how we bear up under trials, how we face opposition, and they, they say, you know what? I'd like to be like him or her. Well, as a child of God, we ought to be the kind of people that create a thirst for Christianity in the hearts and minds of people. And then also, salt is used as a preservative. Now, I understand that we live in a world that is darkened by sin, and we talk about the, the influence of unrighteousness. And yet, I really believe that even though we may be a remnant in terms of our global impact, you and I, we can, we can make a difference in this world. We can be a leavening influence for good. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He was talking there about the church and the danger of evil influence. 
but positively viewed, we can be a leavening agent for good in the world in which we live. The second figure that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5 is light. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus would go on to say in verse 16, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Is it not the case that the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness? That's what John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And yet you and I, we can be a beacon of light in this world. When Jesus came into this world, listen to what he said. I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is our perfect example, yes. And we understand that we are to be a light in a darkened world. It may be the case that you are the only Christian where you work on a daily basis. You're a light for God in that place. It might be that where you go to school, that you and maybe just a very small segment of your friends are the only people that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you are a light in that setting. It might be in your home. You're the only person that is a believer. You are a light in that setting. And so we are the light of the world, the power of our example. And then there's a third thing, the perpetuity of our example. Did you know that your example is gonna live on? Whether you realize it or not, one day when all is said and done, people are going to reflect upon your life. What are they going to think about? What are they going to say? There are certain individuals that if we were to call their names, would conjure up certain images. When I look at the scriptures, I read about a number of individuals whose lives live on in a good way. Abraham, called the friend of God. David, a man after God's own heart. What about Abel? Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4? He being dead, yet speaks. One day, people that you ate with, people that you spent time with, maybe vacationed with, they'll think about you. What are they going to think? What, what's going to, to flood their mind? Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 22. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We are developing a reputation, a name. I would hope and pray that when I'm dead and gone that people will say, pleasant things about me, that people, that people will have good memories and not bad memories. And let me close this by saying, when everything is said and done about your life, when the pen is laid to the side and your body is deposited into the heart of the earth, the most important thing someone can say about you is that you were a faithful Christian. That's what it's all about.
What about the characteristics of a believer? Well, listen again to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Paul here instructing Timothy to show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. Let's just talk about some of the characteristics that are identified in this verse. Paul begins by saying that we are to be an example in word. I think it's interesting that before the other characteristics, that is, before Paul talks about our conduct, our love, our spirit, our faith, our purity, he talks about our tongue. What's that say? It says that there is a premium placed in scripture on the tongue. Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the 10 commandments to Moses, and Moses in turn was to give those 10 commandments to the children of Israel. Did you know that two of the 10 commandments had to do with the tongue? God said, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Furthermore, God said, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then in Proverbs chapter six, the wise man talked about six things and then he said, yes, seven are an abomination to God. Out of seven things that are abominable in the eyes of God, three have to do with the tongue. A lying tongue, a false witness who speaks lies, and then somebody who sows discord among brethren. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, said every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Here's what James said regarding the tongue. So speak and so do as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. How's your speech? Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it wholesome? Here's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you feed on garbage, you will emit garbage. If you feed on wholesome things, then you will emit wholesome things. Using our tongue to the glory of God. Using it for the benefit of mankind. Solomon, well, Solomon was an extremely wise individual. And he talked about the power of the tongue on numerous occasions. He said in Proverbs 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. In other words, it's something of great value. You have the ability to use your tongue for good and to the glory of God. I would encourage you to do that. Do you know Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And then there is a second characteristic 
that we find in verse 12. Paul said to be an example to the believers in word and in conduct, manner of life. Some translations say in conversation. And the idea is what, what Paul is saying here is that we need to demonstrate Christian behavior. We ought to carry ourselves like we belong to the Lord. We ought to live the kind of life that suggests to people, hey, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter three, he said, for Christ who is our life, when people look at your life, do they see you as a dedicated New Testament Christian? Do they see somebody who belongs to the Lord. Did you know that we are in the family of God? Paul said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So to think that you and I can live in such a way so that when people observe how we carry ourselves in this world, the conclusion is they're different. They're a child of God. You know, the real problem that we have in the church is the world. The world is tugging at us constantly. There is this constant appeal of the world. That's why Paul said that we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The world says what? You need to dress a certain way. You need to act a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. We can live in this world but not be guided by the God of this world. The very being that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We can live in the world, but not be of the world. We can live in such a way so that, that people see us and they say, hey, whatever they have, I want it. I like how he carries himself or how she carries herself on a daily basis. I'm impressed with the fact that here's somebody who's striving to live a virtuous life in a morally bankrupt world. There's a third characteristic that Paul talks about, and that is love. There are three spheres of love. We are to love God, we are to love one another, and we are to love self. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. I'm not sure we can ever truly appreciate New Testament Christianity until we understand the great love of Almighty God. Listen to Jesus in John 3:16. For God so loved the world. When we think about God, we ought to think about a being who genuinely loves us. He deeply loves us. His love for us was such that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins. The Bible tells us that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 verse 4, he said, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us. When we, when we truly comprehend the love of God, then we can love him as he desires. What about loving one another? Is that not 
the Christian badge of discipleship? Is it not the case that when I demonstrate love for other people in the human family that I am fulfilling the words of Jesus in John 13? When he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Jesus demonstrated that self-giving, that sacrificial type of love. And what Jesus is saying to people of all ages is, I want you to take your love to a higher level. I want you to demonstrate the kind of love that I manifested. He went on to say in verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. How is it that the world can tell that we belong to the Lord? One of the ways that the world can tell is by our love for one another. I've said it before and I'll say it again because I think it's so important. If the world sees the church, whether locally or universally, as a group bent on fighting and bickering and filled with division, I promise you, they will want nothing to do with us. And if a congregation has constant backbiting and fighting and division and this is happening and that's happening, let me tell you what, bad news travels fast. People in the community, they'll know about it. That's why it's imperative for God's people to love one another. And then what about loving self? Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. If I truly love myself, I'm going to do everything within my power to ensure that one day I have a home in heaven. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of things that are important in this life. And, and there are things that that occupy our time. And I will freely grant that there, there are goals and aspirations that we can have in this life, and that's all well and great. But if we gain this world and neglect our soul and ultimately spend eternity severed from Almighty God, the question begs to be answered, what does it profit us? If you really love yourself, you'll make sure that you are right with Almighty God. The prophet in the long ago said, prepare to meet your God. Ever thought about that? Prepare to meet your God. One day we're going to stand before the God who created this world. We're going to bow in the presence of the great I Am. That would be Jesus. We are going to acknowledge that he is the Son of God, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. When we stand before the Lord on that great and final day, and it's hard for me to imagine the judgment, but I think about a court case, or I think about going to court. Every person that goes to court has their day. They have their time before the judge, don't they? You'll have your time before the judge of all the earth. And as Abraham said, 
he will do what's right. But here's, here's the important thing. You better make sure that you do what's right. If you're doing what's right, the Lord will bless you with an eternal home. And then Paul said we are to be an example in spirit. In everything that we do, we ought to have the right spirit. There are some folks, bless their hearts, they just have a rotten spirit, don't they? There are some folks just hard to be around. And yet I think that what Paul is saying here is that we ought to have the right kind of spirit. You know I, can know, I could know the Bible from cover to cover. And I might be able to quote verses, cite scriptures, engage in intelligent conversations with my friends and neighbors about what the Bible says. But if I have a rotten spirit, rather than, rather than drawing people to Christ, I'm going to repel people. I think inclusive in having the right kind of spirit would be demonstrating wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I want to ask you a question as we draw to the close of this year. Sometimes it's good to take inventory in our spiritual lives. As you come to the close of 2012, if your life represented a pie, how much of the pie is the Lord getting? Is he getting the whole pie? Half the pie? A third of the pie? Or none of the pie? Listen again to Paul. For Christ, who is our life, if Jesus is our life, he gets the whole pie. If he is not my life, the summation of my life, I might as well pack up and go home. The Lord Jesus Christ accepts nothing but the best. When it comes to priorities, do you know who needs to stand at the top, in terms of pecking order, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Paul said, be an example in faith. Paul would write to the church at Corinth and would say, we walk by faith and not by sight. I want to ask you a question. How strong is your faith? If you were to compare your faith to other biblical characters, where would you rank? Sometimes we look at people that, that are pictured in Scripture, and rightly so, we think of them as spiritual giants, because they were in many respects. But listen, they were human beings. They had problems. They had difficulties. They faced trials and temptations, just as we do here on planet Earth. Abraham, the friend of God, wasn't flawless in his life. He made mistakes. But when you look at his life, what do you see? A life of faith and obedience. David, a man after God's own heart, 
had blemishes on his resume. And yet David was a man of immense trust in God. He had a humble heart. He was willing to take responsibility for transgressions in his life. He maintained a great relationship with the Lord. How would you rank up beside Abraham or David? What about Sarah, the wife of Abraham? Sarah was a great lady, a lady of faith, bore a child in her old age, became a part of the seed line of Jesus. And then what about Esther? Esther, a lady of tremendous virtue, integrity, strength, morally sound, interceded on behalf of God's people to spare the Jewish people, a woman of great faith. How would you rank beside her? What about, what about some of the other great characters that are written about in Scripture? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to increase your, your faith? You want to become stronger in the faith? You want, you want to be able to persevere in times of difficulty? Then stay in the Word. If you stay in the Word, your faith will increase. And then finally, Paul said to Timothy, I want you to be an example in purity. Over in chapter 5, verse 22, Paul would say, keep yourself pure. I want to just mention this because I think it's important. We have a lot of young people in this congregation and we're blessed to have a lot of young folks. Listen very carefully, please. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they, they don't have any problem living impure lives. There is a real problem in our world today called sexual promiscuity. People engaging in sexual relations outside of marriage. In Hebrews chapter 13, Paul said, the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. I say that because I think it's important to tell our young people, look, you don't have to be like the world. The world says that you can just live like you want, that you can engage in sexual liaisons and hey, that's okay. Just do your own thing. Let me tell you, the Bible says we're to live pure and holy lives. Tim Tebow plays football for the New York Jets. You may like him or you may hate him. He seems to be a polarizing figure among many in the sports world. Tim Tebow has gone on record as saying that he will not engage in sexual relations before marriage. Let me tell you what, that takes a lot of courage. This guy is a professional athlete. He could have anybody he wanted or anybody he wants. He could do whatever he wants. 
But he is saying, I'm going to live a pure and chaste life. To our young people, I would say, don't give in to the world. And in closing, I would encourage you, date a Christian. Marry a Christian. You can't ever go wrong marrying a child of God. But save yourselves for marriage. And God will bless you. In closing, are you living like a Christian? Do you live as if the Lord Jesus Christ owns your life? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, then our plea to you, come to Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood so that we might enjoy forgiveness. When people put their faith and trust in him, repent of every sin, confess his name, and are buried with him in baptism, they contact the blood of Christ. That's what they did on Pentecost Day according to Acts 2, verses 38 and 41. When they did that, God added them to the church, numbered among the redeemed, the cleansed. And you can be numbered among the redeemed tonight. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not what you ought to be. Maybe your life is not where it ought to be. Maybe, maybe your life has fallen far short of the ideals of Christianity. And maybe you would like us to pray with you and for you. We would be happy to do that. Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?